Tuesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. It's all about educating yourself, and they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. Plus, we're saving you 15% off when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show. Again, 15% off when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, our weekly Tuesday guest is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric G, happy Tuesday. What's happening? Oh, man, there is so much going on today, Colby. First of all, before we even remotely get into a, a lot of hot topics, congratulations on breaking the Long Kruger story. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean that sincerely. Um, congratulations on that. That is a big thing for you, especially being in the situation where you are now. Um, hopefully that helps helps you um, with some things going on. But more importantly, I, I got to ask this. And, and instead of getting into all the, all the aftermath and everything that, that, that went on on social media after that, this, this brought up a discussion that um, one of my friends and I have constantly on Facebook. And that is, does it matter where you get your news from? And who do you trust? And I think we can all say that there are certain outlets we just don't trust. And there are certain sure. ones over time who have built up credibility with each of us as individuals that when they say something, it has more weight behind it. It's like with you, you said, I, I trusted as soon as you tweeted that out, I texted you, I was in the middle of a show. I'm like, are you rock solid on this? I just, you know, was covering my own ass at right, that point, right. but I trusted you. Um, when it comes to sports, who right now or what outlet, if they broke a story right now, might you kind of raise your eyebrows out wondering if that was necessarily true? Or how many outlets are there mm. if you don't want to throw anybody under the bus and, and, and name names in this? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think for a lot of people... You know, there are certainly a million independent journalists and um, news people that break stories all the time. And, and, and this goes outside the sports world. But as far as the sports world specifically, it almost feels like until somebody like ESPN like confirms the story, it almost feels like uh, people are just kind of waiting for that uh, like stamp on news like that. Don't you think? They, they have built the whole worldwide, they're, they're the worldwide leader for a reason. Um, they are, they certainly have with Adrian Wojnarowski, with Adam Schefter, um, the guys they have doing college sports, they probably have more cachet than anyone that when they report it, you think ultimately they're, they're going to get it right. However, I will remind you that this is also the same organization that said that Mike Shanahan was going to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. And there was nothing to it. And they had a streak like in the mid-2000s where they were wrong on some stories. So even they aren't infallible. I'll tell you who right. I trust. Ultimately, with stories, when they break it, especially on, on things like uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, is TMZ. TMZ, especially in sports, 
when it's something controversial, they have nailed it. Um, in fact, TMZ, when the whole Pac-12, when the whole shift from those Big 12 schools possibly leaving and going to the Pac-10, they were the first to report that Oklahoma State was going to the Pac-10. And that's interesting because when you think of TMZ, you usually think of celebrity news, you know, what celebrities are sleeping with each other that are married and all this stuff. But when it comes to sports, they have been pretty spot on over the last few years. And that is, that's become honestly one of my most trusted sources when, when something breaks that's somewhat scandalous in sports, I am 100% convinced that TMZ reports it, that yeah, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. Um, and even though they may not, I don't know if they have the same, um, I don't know if they have the, the same protocol as somebody like an ESPN does with verifying your sources, how many sources you have to have. I don't know if they go through all the rigors of that, but their track record says that, that they're right more often than not. And that, that to me, is, is fascinating. And, you know, when it comes to recruiting stuff, I mean, I trust rivals. I, I trust 24-7. Certain guys I know that follow it, when they tweet something out, that, yeah, that's, that's probably true because they're, they're talking to the kids. They know that it's true. So it's just, we live in a very interesting time now when it comes to who has figured out how to get access to, to the people that matter in this world. Yeah, well, look, I mean, again, you're seeing uh, with, with just social media and the growth of social media, uh, the exchange of information is, is just different than, you know, it's ever been at any point in, in the history of our world. So there are so many more non-traditional um, outlets, I guess, is the best way to say it, uh, to, to get that stuff from. So um, it probably is a situation where everybody has a list of people they trust and people have a list of, of people they don't trust. And I think for the most part, until you maybe burn that bridge, um, you know, you're probably, uh, you're probably trustworthy, for me at least. I, I don't know. Well, and when you talk about the whole non-traditional thing, it's, it, you know more than you know better than anybody. There's so much cattiness in this business, and and I will admit I am I am very catty. Um, you tagged me in a tweet with a certain individual that I used to work with. I'm not going to be real happy about it. Um, it. It just that that's the way things are. But I think it's it's made for an interesting dynamic in the press box where certain people kind of look at each other and want and wonder. Who's got the information or where is that coming from? And everybody starts, especially in radio, we question everybody. It seems to be our job when something's out. We just completely question whether or not they actually have, have the story. But I, yeah, I mean, everybody looks like they're infringing on everybody's territory. I guess, I, I guess yeah. That I yeah. want to say it, and certain press boxes are more catty than others, and I'll leave it at that. There are certain press boxes that are way more catty than others, where everybody seems to be kind of looking like Caesar, you know, wondering if everybody, everybody else is Brutus, is like, oh, you know, are you gonna? Uh, is it today? Is it going to be you that that ultimately stabs me in the back or criticizes me or whatever? And as far as social media goes, I think in a lot of ways that's dangerous because I've said stuff about people that I regret. 
social media and have had to face them um, afterwards. But um, it, it does say that, uh, that, that us as media, there's so many different ways to get stories now that I, I wonder, I, I often wonder just how are people consuming all this information right now? What, what is their go-to for, for information consumption? I'm obsessed with that at this moment. I want to know, are you getting it on social media? Are you still getting it from traditional outlets or they're untraditional outlets? Who do you like? Who do you don't like? Why do you like them? Why don't you like them? All that stuff really, really matters to me. And all, all that got set off by, by one tweet that, that, that you sent out last Friday, breaking the long Kruger story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was, that was wild. Um, as far as, as the OU basketball position, let's let's talk about that for a second because yeah. uh, it, it leaves a pretty big vacancy. And I don't know about you, I honestly think this is a good job. I, I don't, you know, I, I know that certainly Oklahoma basketball isn't a massive focus. Um, it's not like they pack the arena, you know, e- even when COVID is not happening. Uh, it's not like that place is just constantly full. That said, it's a big time program that has had some Final Fours. In the last 20 years, they've had national players of the year. They've had number one overall picks. Um, You know, I mean, as far as the accolades and then the cherry on top of it all is the fact that you have one of the best athletic directors in all of college athletics in Joe Castiglione. Um, To me, that's the first question I would ask if I were a head coach. Who's the athletic director? How long has he been there? What's the stability of the athletic department overall? Um, The fact that it's Josie in that position to me says... This is a much better basketball job than if Josie weren't in that position. I would agree with you. It's interesting that, that that you and I both think that this is a pretty darn good good job. Um, my co-host Pat Jones um, knew Billy Tubbs pretty pretty well, and he said yesterday on our show that that at times Billy Tubbs confessed to him that Norman was a hard place to recruit to that it was a little bit more of an outpost than what people gave it credit for. Now, granted, you're talking about late 80s, early 90s, where when you drove from Norman to Oklahoma City, it, it did sort of feel like a long way. There were, it, it felt like it, it was, you know, it felt like there was some distance just to get to even the south side of, of, of Oklahoma City. Well, since you... You know, you, you really built out that 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 stretch of I thirty five. Now it, it feels what less of a chore to get from Norman to Oklahoma City. Um, great facilities as far as the workout goes, which is more important than your playing facilities because ultimately kids want to know: Can you get them to the NBA? Can you put them in position to make money? And the workout facilities are extremely important in in that in that process haven't really done anything with the Lloyd Noble center in years. It is somewhat of a dump. Don't mind saying that went to school at OU. It's terrible basketball arena, but next to Kansas, it's probably the best basketball job in the big 12 because you can now seem to get some upper echelon athletes. You've proven you can win. Um, CBS sports, looked at the top 25 basketball programs over the last 20 years and put OU square, you know, squarely in the middle of that. I think they were in the top 10. They've got a history of, of going to the tournament. 
They've got a history of making runs in the tournament. They've been to two Final Fours since um, 2001. And I, I don't know. It, it, it's just it's one of those jobs where you know you're going to come, you're going to win. What you don't know, and while you'll have support of the athletic department, what you don't know is who's going to care. Because there right. does seem to be a lack of caring from the OU fans' part on whether or not that basketball program is any good. Or actually, they want it to be good. They just don't really care. You know, they just don't really care to go to go watch them. So you're never going to have a great home court advantage, but as long as you win, nobody complains. Yeah, well, it's, it's secondary it to football, it, right? Like that—that's the other thing, right? Big time. I, I, this is this can be viewed as a plus or a a minus. I think when you're making the list of pros and cons with this job, um, everything you said is true. If you're looking at that from the op- optimistic side, it also means there's not as much pressure as there is in some other situations. Like, let's just take OU basketball and Texas basketball and compare them for a second. OU has accomplished considerably more than Texas has over the last 20 years, and I would argue has less expectations going into every year than the Texas basketball program does. You know, and that's, I think, it's it's the double-edged sword of having one of the, you know, traditional blue bloods of college football. Uh, football is always going to come first. It's always going to be the main focus. So you can either look at that as, uh, not as many people care about your product, or you could look at that as like, we're not expected to, to be in a final four every year. We're not expected to win the big 12 every year. Um, it's, you know, again, it, it's, it's a, it's secondary to football and, and nobody's going to dispute that it isn't. So um, I, I just don't think there's nearly the built-in pressure that there is in a lot of other places. There's not, there's not, um, unless there, unless there are those years like, I think the year when when Trey Young was there, there were there were big time expectations that he was going to make that program or he was going to make that team better than than what it actually was. Just his presence alone was going to help OU make a deep run into the tournament. Um, that year, that Buddy Heald was a senior, and, and you had that group. There were there were high expectations yeah. that they could possibly be a Final Four team, but those expectations they're they're very spread out and like you said when it comes to texas texas has a spotlight shining on them texas is actually building a 60 million dollar arena as we speak they are doing everything they can to improve the basketball facilities and there are rumors out there that they're willing to even pay their basketball coach a competitive salary to compete with more of your blue blood basketball schools and really, honestly, Texas should be a better basketball job. Austin's a great city. There's a ton of talent in the state that if you never want to recruit outside the state, you don't have to. Um, it should be attractive enough with these new facilities to get upper echelon talent. If you get the right coach in there, it's, it, it's, a, it's a place that one-and-done talent seems to like to go, um, where, where Norman probably isn't. But OU just always seems to achieve at that sport where Texas just just fails. And what's funny is is that Texas is willing to put more into it than OU does, and yet you still don't have the results. But I think some of that also goes back to Texas's Texas's um, MO of firing good coaches. Like I think had they hung on to Rick Barnes, 
they'd be in a, a significantly better position than if they had, you know, they'd be in a, a significantly better position now than they are looking for an, for a new coach and having their coach leave and go to, to Marquette. Yeah. Texas is the best example of um, over maybe overestimating what you should be every year. Cause, cause you know, inevitably yeah. it feels like no matter what happens, unless they win it all, the entire fan base views it as a failure. And then no matter what you accomplish, uh, everybody's just ready for, you know, get this guy out of town. He he's, he's not accomplishing what we want him to accomplish every single year. Uh, and then you see that, you know, obviously with football, you see that now with basketball, Rick Barnes was doing a good job. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he was, uh, you know, blowing the world away, um, but he was doing a good job. I mean, they were competitive consistently. They were, um, they were winning NCAA tournament games. They would have years where they would win a game or two in the tournament. They had a Final Four team. I mean, he was recruiting at a high level. He was he was checking a lot of the boxes. But for that fan base, you know, it's it, he's not checking the the boxes that matter. Which is, it kind of felt like like it almost seems like Texas basketball program feels like they should be in like Kansas position, which is just absurd. And if you don't win the cha- the the conference title every year or something like that, then. Uh, you're, you know, it's a massive failure. So that uh, it, it's interesting how that evolution in all of their sports really has kind of taken place over the last like 10 or 15 years. Cause remember there well, was a, I remember there was a, there was an article in sports illustrated. Um, I can't remember when, maybe 15 years ago or so. And Texas was called the best athletic department in the country. And, you know, at that time, Obviously, like Rick Barnes had things rolling. Mac Brown had things rolling. Augie Garrido had the baseball program rolling. Um, I think like swimming was a national power. Track and field was a national power. Like, and and so I think you 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 get to a point like where everything like that is is competing for national championships. A lot like Oklahoma is right now, where you have so many just top of of the line uh, programs that all of a sudden you start maybe raising the expectations of some of those programs beyond what is reasonable. And look, Texas basketball should be better than they've been. I don't dispute that. But they're also not Duke. They're not Kansas. And and to kind of put them under that microscope is is a little bit insane. Well, if you, if you want a good example of where Texas fails, just look up the road to Waco, where, where Scott Drew is now, and he's got Baylor in the Final Four. When I came back to, to Oklahoma, you guys just destroyed Scott Drew. And I'm like, I don't get it. This guy's going to the NCAA tournament. He seems to be winning a couple of games. And you were like, yeah, but he underachieves. And Baylor always seems to have better athletes. And, and he didn't seem to really get the most out of them. Well, now he's got them in, in, in the Final Four. Now, some of that has to do with Kansas has been on a downward slide the last couple of years. And if you look around the Big 12, I mean, Baylor clearly, athletically, was better than everyone else. But the, the lesson is here is that if you have continuity in your program, if you can keep it consistent, you're going to be better off more times than not. And that's something that, that Baylor saw is, okay, every media outlet who covers the Big 12 can think Scott Drew is, is failing but he's good enough for us. He's winning 20 games a year. He's getting to the NCAA tournament. It's consistent. More importantly, considering the fact that we had the Dave Bliss issue and add on top of that the, the Arb Riles issue, he's not embarrassing us. 
We never have to worry about Scott Drew getting us yeah. in to an NCAA match. And he's good. Jim Mulkey's good. We're going to leave well enough alone. We're not going to mess with this no matter what the criticisms are. Whereas you go to Texas, as soon as somebody starts to feel that a particular coach isn't good enough anymore, the avalanche starts. And you've never had a strong enough athletic director in that department to be able to tell donors, fans, whoever, shut up. Just shut up and let things be. Yeah, Mac has had some down years. Mac is not recruiting as well as he used to. The, the, the athletes aren't here. The athletes we're getting now are not as good as what they were when Colt McCoy, Vince Young, and, and Major Applewhite were here. We're going to talk to Mac about it. We're going to fix it. But we're not going to be stupid and think that football has passed Mac Brown by. You guys just need to tap the brake and get over it and, and realize sometimes things take a weird turn, but we're Texas. We'll get back. We trust him. That's not how Texas operates. As soon as the as soon as the, the the ball gets rolling downhill, that dude's gone, and it doesn't matter who it is. Um, think about Tom Herman. Tom Herman really didn't have a bad stand at Texas. It just wasn't good enough by Texas standards. The dude won every single bowl game. You just looked up north, and you're like, well, OU's winning. It's like, all right, guys, get it. OU's really good right now. Yeah, there's some changes to be made. Let me work it out with Tom and figure out what the issue is. It's like, now nah, we'll just write him a check and get him off here. We'll try Steve Sarkeesian. And, and unfortunately, you cannot run an athletic department like that. Um, and But that's the, that's the Texas mentality. And I've seen names like John Calipari come up for that Texas job, which sounds all fine and well. And it's probably a little less pressure than Kentucky. But if you hire John Calipari, the expectation is you're going to be winning national championships and you're going to become the king of the one-and-done schools. And if he fails in that, let's say let's say there's a two-year run like he had at, like he had at Kentucky this year, where there's a sub-500 record or when you change 80% of your roster, they just don't gel as well as they did maybe a couple of years before that. Well, then all of a sudden they're going to, they're going to fire him and they're going to give him a huge buyout. Um, and, and they're going to be starting over from ground zero. That, that should be Texas's motto where we reinvent the wheel every three years where we reinvent the wheel. It's just, it's incredibly screwed up. And what's so funny is there's a lot of people we used to work with that thought that that was the best way to run an athletic department. Like they, they, they counted down to when people got fired. They took joy when people got fired. And it's like, all right, so you take any joy that people get fired, but you, you want and need this program to be good, but yet somehow they're, they're always stuck in, in the same pattern. So, yeah, I would say, oh, you by those accounts, much better job. Long-winded way to say. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're you're spot on about Scott Drew, and and look, I, I was absolutely in the group in those like Perry Jones years around that time. Um, I always felt like you know at that point he was recruiting at a high level, but I never really felt like Baylor looked like a great basketball team. It was just like they have all these really good basketball players and freak athletes, but it just always felt like there was just some sort of like 
direction or um, I, like management missing. I, I, I don't know the best way to describe it, but um, it was just kind of like, here, here's all these good athletes, now just go play basketball. And uh, I, I just always felt like they were always capable of so much more. And look, I, I think you have to give, I'm giving Scott Drew a ton of credit. I, I talked to John Morris about this uh, about a year ago, maybe maybe longer, um, about how I felt like even my perception of Scott Drew has significantly changed from that point to what we've seen over these last three or four years with Baylor basketball. And, and look, it, you're not always going to have the Perry Joneses, but it, it has certainly felt to me like with Baylor basketball, it's kind of reached this point where it does feel somewhat sophisticated with how they play and that there is a direction. And it it feels like there's substance to what you see on the floor as opposed to just like the the most athletic dudes on the floor just kind of doing their thing. And and uh, I don't know if that makes any sense to you at all, but that, that, that was always the way I felt about Baylor basketball. Uh, and like I said, I, that's changed over the last three or four years. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, if uh, people that like me were making those comments around that time, I, I never thought that Scott Drew needed to be fired, but I, thir- I certainly felt like they weren't maximizing what they had in Waco. But if you're one of those people like we're talking about with Texas, for example, where when you, when you don't feel like you're maximizing what you have and you just get rid of them, I, where does that leave Baylor? They're certainly not in a Final Four right now. So it's a, it's a valid point. Well, athletically, this is the best Baylor has ever looked since Scott Drew has been there. He's had he's had guys, like you mentioned Perry Jones, but then once we saw Perry Jones in Oklahoma City, we could tell that that, that, that kid never was quite right. And, and the knock on Perry Jones, even from the time he was in high school, was that this is a kid that shined away from the spotlight. So no, no amount of coaching was ever going to make Perry Jones the, the, the best he could be because he had he had a, a mental block about being able to handle the criticism or take the shot and and, and deal with, with all the fallout. This Baylor group that you've got this year, my God, they are some good-looking athletes. Macy Oteague, how on earth has Macy Oteague spent five years in college Spent two years one place, transferred to Baylor, had a redshirt year, and now he's finishing out his eligibility. That kid looks like an NBA player. 6'4", I, I think he's like 215, maybe 225. He's got handles. Um, haven't seen him enough to know what his range is and can he consistently shoot the three ball from, from NBA range. But my gosh, he looks like a player. Um, he looks like a guy that, yeah, if you had a chance to draft him, he looks like a first-round draft pick to me. And that's that's let's looking at him in one game. They've got a they got a couple of other guys that that look like they could play in the league now. That's the most athletic team in the entire NCAA tournament this year. And, and last night it was fully on display yeah. against Arkansas. They have some dudes and. One thing I, I think you got to look at when you're when you're Joe Castiglione hiring a new guy at OU, you've got to ask them about manipulating, uh, essentially recruiting within the transfer portal in college basketball, and how much time are you going to give that versus how much time are you going to give um, high school kids, and, and and you have to figure out what they're. And again, I don't know what's right or wrong here as far as 
how to build a team, but the transfer portal is a, a big part of it. I mean, if you look at that that Arkansas team that Eric Musselman built, Eric Musselman, that's how he gets his guys. He goes to the transfer portal. And what it feels like is in the transfer portal, you can find all these guys that somehow slip through the cracks for two or three years, develop their body, develop their skills, and now all of a sudden they're in a position where they want to display it to a much bigger audience than, than what they were, were first able to get when they went into college. I, and that seems to me that the way to go, if you're not going to run it the way Kentucky is, which is get the five best freshmen for, from every single class and, and, and see if they can make a team by March. And I would say that even that, that philosophy is going by the wayside because you're going to see less. Well, like we've already discussed, you're going to see less and less kids want to play college basketball. They're going to go right to situations where they can make money right now. And uh, the transfer portal and a little bit of, you know, a few high school kids that, that may be the winning formula in college basketball at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we see it everywhere. Um, as far as the job, uh, I, I mean, I, I think everybody at this point has made a list of, of people they think, uh, would be good hires. What does your list look like? Um, Paul Mills, uh, would be the first guy call from ORU. And honestly, I would ask him if he could get O'Banner and A. Smith <laughs> come to OU. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, that, I, it, I mean, they can't, and both of them have eligibility left and can transfer. I would ask, what is the likelihood that they, I, I seriously would ask that question. What is the likelihood you can get those kids to come with you? And there's nothing ORU can do to stop it. I mean, unless they just don't want to release them from their scholarship, which makes you look really bad. Um, but Paul Mills would be the first guy I would call. Chris Beard is probably a tough get because I don't think OU is going to pay him as much as Texas Tech is, and he is more likely to go to Texas um, because they would pay him that. Um, Pooh Williamson, I, I think he gives him a shot at this job. Um, he's he played at Tulsa, and he's been on Long Kruger's staff, and I know Long Kruger's son just took the job at UNLV, but it might be worth a call to see if he would be interested in in, in, in coaching at OU. Um, after that, it, it starts to get pretty thin because I don't think you can get Rick Barnes from from Tennessee, and I think he'd be an excellent hire, but I think Tennessee's just going to pay him too much. And I, as a matter of fact, I. I Musselman, you're probably not going to get him away from Arkansas. Infield, even though his wife's from Oklahoma, would he leave USC to come to OU? USC's another one of those basketball jobs to me like Texas. They, they, they ought to be a whole lot better than what they are. Um, and then after that, I just, I don't know. I, I can't see Dana Altman leaving um, Oregon. I think Dana uh, Altman's buyout, I, I think, is something north of $10 million, by the way. Yeah, so you're not you're not even going to approach that. I mean, that would be stupid. And OU doesn't care enough about basketball to pay that much for somebody's buyout. Kansas, yes. OU, not so much. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's 
there's an NBA assistant out there that, that you might be interested in, but you need, I think OU needs a dynamic personality. Somebody that's going to sell that program, not just to, not just the recruits, but to the fans. OU needs, OU needs somebody that the fans can really get behind that may actually make them want to go to the games more than what they're doing at, at this, at this point in time. And Paul Mills perfectly fits that description. He's a Texas guy. He can recruit in that state. He was on the Baylor staff. He's a hot name right now. You can certainly pay him more than, than ORU. And I think there's also a very good chance that you can get both or at least one of his top kids to transfer down to, to OU with him. Um, that, that to me seems like the no brainer. If you're Joe C, you call and you do everything you can to convince Paul Mills to come here and you get Paul Mills knowing that he's going to be successful and leave you for a campus that's more dedicated to basketball than, than what OU is. You, you just have to understand that that's the trajectory of his career. Unless he just likes it, unless he just likes it at OU. Um, but I get Paul Mills with the attitude that he's going to be here five years, and in five years he's, he's going to move on. But in that five years, oh, he's going to have a hell of a run. Yeah. So there, that's my answer. He's the guy. Porter Moser. God, man, he's been a Loyola for ten years. Yeah. Ten years. Um, my question is: Is why did he leave after the final four years? That always um, bugged me. Yeah. Probably the right job didn't it's come along. Like, um, and I don't know. I mean, is is OU the right job? Uh, he's 52. He's a young guy. Um, I don't know much about him other than the fact that, that he's been at Loyola for, for quite a long time. And I usually coaches like that at those small schools, I'm trying to remember – I'm trying to remember the last one that was at a at a small school like that for a long time and then left. Was it uh, the guy at George Mason that ended up going down to, to Miami? Larry Nagan. I think he may have been the last one, but or was it George? Yeah, it was George Mason. Um, but yeah, this I I don't I think it'd be a good hire. I just think Mills is a home run. I think Mills is the easy home run because of. He's in. He's in state. He's got those Texas ties. Not that Mosier would be bad, but but I think he could. I would call Fred Hoiberg, but again, Hoiberg is making a ton of money at Nebraska, and I don't think you can pay him at OU what they're paying him at Nebraska with all that 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 Big Ten with, with all that Big Ten money that that Nebraska is getting from that television contract. Let me throw this out, and and let me also say before I throw that out, I understand that we just talked about the the position that Oklahoma's basketball program is in. We both agree that it's it's a top twenty five job. Um, so I, I get that maybe they are above what I'm about to suggest. At the same time, we're also in a situation, you know, given the the state of the world, where financially, I think you have to be more responsible in these areas than you've ever had to be. So yes. When you start to think about having to pay buyouts and having to pay established coaches considerable amounts of money, um, you know, Mike Boynton, we'll talk about that in a second, but he just got his, you know, $3 million a year, uh, which I think is like 36th or 37th 
uh, on the list of college basketball coaches per year. Um, you know, it's it's not a cheap thing. So, all that said, Houston's in the Final Four right now, and you have three assistants. I, I don't know how people feel about the Samson name in Norman and, and if Kellen would be someone they would want back, but if not, you have two former players, Qantas White and Hollis Price, on that staff as well. If there were ever the time to maybe just say, you know what, I know that we could get an established guy, and certainly the program warrants getting an established guy, but I don't know. I mean, if you want to talk about young, dynamic personality, trying to, to maybe do it on the cheap somewhat, that might be the, that might be the option. I think all three of those guys will be home runs with the fans at, at the press conference. Um, all three of them that, that you mentioned, even, even Kellen Sampson, this is the guy, this kid that went to Norman I played at OU, stayed at OU when his dad left to go to Indiana. So there, there, there's some roots there. The only issue, and I think you're, you're spot on on everything. The only issue you have with that, I am firmly against, hiring alumni and putting them in that position. Um, he, hire them for the basketball assistant coach, but but I am against hiring alumni now for offensive and defensive coordinator jobs and, and, and head coaching jobs in, in football. The lower, the lower profile sports are the non-revenue sports. Yeah, hire all the alumni you want because people don't care usually. But in that high profile spot, do not hire an alum because if things go bad, the school turns on them. The fans turn on them. And then you forget what they did for you as a player and how much joy they were and, and how much love they have for this university. And when it's time to have the things like Long Kruger did in August where he get everybody back for, for that alumni game and there'd be a golf tournament, that guy's not coming back because the last thing on his mind is, well, why would I go back to OU? They treated me like crap. Uh, did everything for him on the court, have a few bad years, you know, have a couple bad years of basketball, and now everybody wants to get rid of me. No one wants to see me again. So don't put them in, don't put them in that position. Jo- Josh Heupel is the poster child for why you do not hire alumni for high-profile positions at OU, because I doubt that dude, even if he is successful, let, let's say Lincoln Riley leaves. And Josh Heupel is really successful at Tennessee. Do you think you could talk him into coming to coach OU after that? I would think not. I, if I were him, I'd tell you, screw off. There's no way I'm coming back there. Not, not after the way you treat me an offensive coordinator. There's no way I'm doing it. Um, yeah. So I think you have to be very careful when, when you're when you're going down that road. That's that's fair, I, I think, in regards to football. But as we discussed at the beginning of this conversation, the basketball program's in a considerably different position. Where again, there's just not the same level of intensity and the same you know win or die type mentality, right? Like the, the world is, the world basically ends right, when OU loses a football. Like it's, you know, everything is burning to the ground. Um, it's not the case with basketball. I just, I just think that what you're saying is absolutely true. I just don't know that for me, that same logic would apply to the basketball program uh, because there's not the same urgency at all. I would hope not. I, I, I would really hope not because I, I'll be honest. I hated the way I, Hated the way the fans treated Josh Heupel. Hated it. Um, hated reading the crap on social media about him. Hated. Look, and I'm guilty. I, I'm guilty of it too. Get, get 
point, pointing finger itself here um, for, for criticizing him that year that you know Trevor Knight was not as good as he could have been. Um, I would hope that at the basketball program that, that there is a little bit less um, venom if, if things don't start off well because it does feel like here, here's the thing about basketball you got to understand now more often than not you are starting out at ground zero. Um, you used to not be that way, but now it's kind of built to a point where you just got to expect that you're going to lose two, three kids every year yeah. to the to the transfer portal and, and, and replacing those kids. You're either in the portal with high school kids. I, I That's just the way of college basketball. I mean, it's, it's worse than college football as far as its free agency goes. So just know that going in that whoever you're you're getting and whatever the team may have looked like one year, it's not going to look that way the next. I mean, just, just count on it as a basketball fan. Just think, okay, it's a great year. We'll see what happens next year. Never count on even those kids who aren't going into the NBA draft coming back the, the, the following season. Yeah. Well, and, and I think we've also – I think this is true – and it becomes more true every year that passes. The focus on simply what you do in the NCAA tournament, I think, just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. And it almost becomes a situation. Like, I feel like I've watched this transition, like, over the last decade. And, and again, not to say that it, 10 years ago it wasn't the same situation. I just feel like it's so much more magnified now where... Like, I, I don't know how much it really matters whether you're winning conference championships and, and all that. Like, it it almost feels like the only thing on your resume that people give a damn about is what you do in the NCAA tournament. You can have all the regular season That's success it. in the world. So, like, at the end of the day, whether it's, it's uh, you know, Dana Altman or Qantas White, for example, like you win a, a game or two in the NCAA tournament, it just kind of feels like you've you've secured your spot, you know? Like, it's... It's it's uh, it's almost just about your matchup and and maybe getting one or two and you know certainly there are going to be the situations where you have players like Blake Griffin and and Trey Young and uh, the expectations are going to be higher uh, but I think just in a in a standard year it's just like you know what get there hopefully you win a game uh, if you if you go five or six years without winning an NCAA tournament game that's that's when you know people are are really ready to to run you out of town but. Uh, you know, you just kind of win a game or two in March every couple, two, three years, and I think that that satisfies most people. No, you're right, especially here. Um, now there there are some there are some places I think that where basketball is the focus. It's like sure, okay, sure. if you have a good NCAA tournament run, that's great, but you better have that, and you better be winning almost 25 games a year. Right. Kansas, you know, right? This, we are, yeah. Kansas, Kansas fans this, are losing their mind that. if they lose to Iowa State on January 13th. I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, what else do they have to root? Look, we have nothing else to root for. Right. the football program. Right. Not even sure Kansas has any other sports besides basketball and football at this point. But, yeah, I mean, for OU, for Oklahoma State, um, I think Iowa State, the the expectations are a little bit higher. I think Iowa State kind of falls into that category of yeah, you not only better agree. get to the NCAA, but but you better not be any lower than a five seed. And a five seed puts you, yeah, that that that, that puts your job in a little bit of jeopardy because we want you in position 
we want you in the best position to make a run. But yeah, I think for OU fans, you could muddle through the regular season as long as you got to the Sweet 16 every couple of years, the Elite Eight every three, the, the Final Four every five, six. They're, they're happy as punch. Or what you do in the regular season doesn't matter. This is the last thing we're going to remember is what happened in the NCAA tournament. Right. That's it. Right. That's it. all that matters. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think, well, uh, you know, going back to the Scott Drew conversation, you know, I think there, the, the people that were anti-Scott Drew, again, were watching the season as a whole and watching, you know, Baylor every time out versus, you know, he got results in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I, maybe maybe even before that became as much of a focus as it is today, you know, he was making Elite Eight runs uh, at the time that he was being criticized. Uh, so... Yeah, it's 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 an interesting situation. It's you know it's it's a sport that uh, the entire landscape of it has changed so much in the last ten years, and the entire landscape of just the personnel basically year year to year changes so much that it just feels like that's where the spotlight is, and and that, that's why I just I, you know if you hire I, I don't think it's a bad thing to not get an established coach. If you want to go that route and you want to bring in, um, you know, maybe somewhat of an unknown, a young guy that's charismatic and, and uh, you know, a Mike Boynton type situation like Oklahoma State did years ago. Um, I, I think that we're in a, a situation in college basketball where that makes more sense than it ever has. Yeah, it does. I mean, if you're okay, if you're a college basketball coach now, are, are you just taking November, December, December, January, February to just work on your rotations and, and figure out who can play and who can't? Are you? Are, I mean, are you? Obviously, you want to be worried about the win loss record because nobody's going to, nobody's going to put you in the tournament if you're sub five hundred right. unless you, right? You know, in, in, unless you win. Uh, your conference tournament, okay? So, and that, and that, in a sense, is playing with fire. Because now, I mean, if you've developed bad habits, chances are they're going to carry over into that. But are you want to win, but are you really worried when you don't lose? Especially if you've got something out of that game and thought, okay, well, we can use this next time, or we can use this. And by the time we, by the time we hit March, this is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be peaking. I mean, is yeah. that how you manipulate the season at this point? Yeah, I, I think a little bit. I mean, you never want to make losing okay, because once you start doing that, then I, I think, you, you know, the losing becomes more consistent, and then you're not in the NCAA tournament period. So, um, you know, there is a certain threshold that you have to cross as far as just the regular season success to give yourself that opportunity in March. Uh, so I don't think you can... I'm not, I'm not trying to make the case that you take the regular season for granted because you're automatically going to be in the tournament. You have to earn your spot in the tournament. But, you know, if you are one of those teams that gets into the tournament, nobody's talking about your regular season. It's only what you did in March. No. It's, it's when you miss the tournament that people start paying attention to your regular season. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a line that you have to cross in the regular season. There's a, a threshold that you have to uh, get past. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, there's there's something to what you're saying as far as, uh, and, and look, here's the other thing. Let, let, let's just throw this out. The tournament is also a, a, considerable, a considerable amount of luck and draw. Like, 
you could have a great yep. seed, but you get a terrible matchup for what your team is. Um, or, yep. you know, it's uh, look at Houston just made a final four and didn't play a single, single digit team, right? Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Houston's not good. I'm just saying Houston just won four straight games against opponents that were all double digit seeds to get to the final four. That's never been done before. Like that's, that's amazing. That's a, that's a significantly that, easier path than it could have been, is, is all I'm trying to say. So, you know, so much of the tournament is things that are completely outside of your control, even, that, uh, you know, it's that, that's the other part of this that's wild is so much of your, I think, overall uh, success is valued on this tournament, and so much of your success in that tournament is based on good draws and, you know, maybe... Loyola upsets the number one team in the country and you avoid a bad matchup for you that would have been Illinois, for example, or you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, uh, it's wild. It's, it's such an interesting, uh, sport to look at and, and how it's viewed today. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it, it almost lends credence to something that my dad always suggested, which is start the thing in February. Just let every team in. Let, let every team in because that's all that anybody really cares about anymore is you just let every team in. And if you play from November to January and somebody sub 500, but they start progressing through the tournament, people will be happy. People don't care. And most people that watch it don't remember that, that this was a bad team. You know, there, Colby, I honestly don't know. I mean, how many true college basketball fans are there? Aren't, aren't most of us, NCAA tournament fans were not necessarily college basketball fans. Yeah, I think that's like, true. like we're not gonna we're not gonna watch um, we're not gonna watch when Kansas plays Kentucky in December. That, that game just doesn't matter to us. Um, if that happens, we'll either watch the NBA that night or if there's a bowl game on, we might lean towards that. Even if it's a, even if it's a couple of crummy teams because we like football and college football better than we like college basketball. Yeah. So if everybody's just an NCAA tournament fan, just invite the whole, invite the entire field. Start it in February. Invite the entire field. Yeah. And and, and figure out a way to to just stagger it. And I, I mean, you've made it the most. You've made it the most important thing in your sport. Then let everybody in. Let let everybody yeah. have a chance to, to to make a run through it. I. Gosh, that's so weird. It's so weird to think that we're judging coaches strictly on the most random sporting yeah. event yeah. in the entire world. There's nothing, nothing. I Yes, look at Gonzaga, look at Baylor. They're probably the two best teams in college basketball, and you could throw anybody in front of them, and they're probably going to beat them. Right. And and we've seen Baylor get, get beat this year. But it's just like, like you said with Houston. Oregon State advanced because they upset Oklahoma State. They were a bad matchup for Oklahoma State. Illinois didn't show up against Loyola Chicago. And by the time they did and realized, oh, this is for real, <laughs> yeah. they, couldn't, they couldn't turn it on. And their big, their big man, who had no business getting outplayed, let himself get shoved around all game against Loyola Chicago. So you... you You've had these things just just kind of happen. Like Illinois shows up, doesn't take Loyola seriously. Now all of a sudden they're out of the tournament, and people think Illinois had a bad season. No, they really didn't. They just were, were dumb. 
They were dumb for a 40-minute stretch or for a 36-minute stretch. They didn't play up to their potential. In the NBA, like you were saying, if if that's a seven-game series, that just gets your attention. That's when the coach can haul, haul you in and say, hey, this is ridiculous. Go put your foot down and win the next four games. I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. And you can send messages. You don't get that opportunity in the NCAA tournament. So it's right. If it's the only thing anyone cares about, let everybody in. Start in February, and we'll see how it all we'll see how it all plays out. And if you're terrible from November through January, but yet somehow you're one of the last 16 teams standing, you're probably going to get a contract extension. Yeah, even though you don't yeah. deserve it. That's that's absolutely true. Um, um, I don't I don't know how many people what, are in this camp, but this is this is my college basketball fandom. This is what it consists of. Obviously, depending on your location, you're probably pl- paying attention to the schools that that play near you. So, like, you know, living here, I'm obviously paying attention to what OU and OSU do during the college basketball season. Uh, but like outside of that. And I and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I watch every OU or OSU game either. Like that that doesn't happen. Uh, but I'm paying attention. I'm following along with their season and and how it's going. Outside of that, the only games that are non NCAA tournament games that I pay attention to in the college basketball season are you know every, there there are opportunities where like. Cade, you know, if I wasn't in Oklahoma, if I wasn't in Oklahoma, like Cade Cunningham plays for Oklahoma State, he's potentially the first pick in the NBA draft. I'm going to tune in and pay attention to that. Um, Evan Mobley from USC, like I'm, I'm going to tune into a USC game to, you know, see what this kid looks like because he's potentially a top five draft pick. Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, like the guys that are potential NBA, you know, top ten picks the next year are the guys that I will make it a point to watch at some point in the season a few times and, and kind of get a feel for uh, the way they play and what their game looks like. But that, I mean, that's really it that there's, there's just not a lot of, of like college basketball fandom. That's, that's more like next level fandom, you know, trying to get the, the inside look at, at uh, what those guys might project to be at the next level more than like enjoying the college basketball game. Oh, we're exactly alike. I'll watch the big 12 schools and if I happen to hear of somebody that, that might be a top 10 pick and they're on in the tournament, then, then yeah, I want to see them. Or if there's a, a given night that they're on, um, I, I might watch. I mean, Kate Cunningham fell, fell into that category. Um, I wish I knew about Macy Oteague. I, I kind of feel bad about not watching Baylor now for the exception of last night's game and when they lost to OSU in the Big 12 tournament, I actually did not watch Baylor the, the entire year. And I really wish I'd seen Macy team because I kind of felt like I was watching an NBA guy and was watching some NBA guys on on that roster. But I'm you and I are a lot alike. The only basketball, college basketball I care about and have always cared about is Big 8 and now Big 12. I never cared about the ACC. I didn't care about the Mountain West when I was covering it. Um, didn't care about the Pac-10. Nothing about it excited me. Yeah, And it's not to say that it wasn't good basketball. There was some really good basketball. There was one year in the Mountain West where they had like four teams go to the NCAA tournament. Some really close games, but no emotional tie to it. It just wasn't. It wasn't the same as watching Iowa State 
and Oklahoma State or Iowa State and Kansas. It didn't have that same pull to it. Yeah. So you and I are, are, are a lot alike. And I think for a lot of people in this part of the country who are not Kansas fans, they all probably share that same kind of mentality if they're into the NBA. Which, real quick, speaking about the NBA, why did it take the Thunder so long to sit out Horford? Why did they not do this back in February? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, they they they've obviously been tanking, but it almost felt like they took too long to take the next step in tanking, right? Right. And you saw the last couple of games. Look, Shea Gilgis Alexander conveniently now has plantar fasciitis. I have lost track how many games that Darius Baisley has missed with a shoulder contusion, which I would think if this was last year, both of these guys are playing. Yes. Because they've got a shot yes. to get into they've got a shot to get in, into the playoffs. And with the, it's really funny to hear the questions be asked to Mark Dagnall after the game because everybody's just looking for something. And there's a lot of questions about Pokachevsky. People are fascinated with this kid. And yeah, he's played better since he came back, but I don't know how you even remotely project what he's going to look like in three or four years. He's the youngest player in the NBA. He's still inconsistent, and he's going to have up-and-down nights. But people are looking for anything to gravitate to. It's like, oh, well, you know, Teo Maladon had a you know good six minutes. In this game, you know, get six minutes stretch, yeah. but then he had, you know, 12 turnovers or whatever. It, 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 it feels like here's, here's what this year feels like. Sam Presti knew he wanted to tank, knew he had to tank, but the culture is such in the thunder that it prevented them from going all in on it because it's like, well, I mean, how do you tell Shea Gillis Alexander we're not committed to winning this year? And Al Horford knew the game when he came. I mean, Al Horford just came from Philadelphia, who tanked in order to put themselves in position to sign him to a ridiculous contract. So Al Horford got it. I think Shea got it, but I think there was there wasn't enough communication throughout the organization that this is. I mean, I'll say it in Sam Presti terms: this is a developmental year, guys. We're not going to worry about the wins and losses. We just need to find out who can play. And, and that's what we're looking for, for. And unfortunately, because overachieving to a certain extent just happens to be, especially in Shea Gilgis Alexander's mindset, that's what they've done. They, they've they've overachieved in a taking yeah. year, which is the worst possible thing you can do. But I cried out for it early in the season. Why are you still playing out Horford? Are yeah. you tr- were they trying to show him off? Uh, yeah, and, yeah, they were trying oh, to just get, yeah, exactly. All the way up to the trade deadline, and, and if you notice, after the trade deadline passed, that's when they said, "Hey, we're going to sit him the rest yeah. of the year." I think they were trying to yeah, they were trying to get interest. They were trying to they were just hoping that he was going to show somebody something that they said, "You know what? I'm willing to take on that contract because he's owed a ton of money," and uh, that's not an easy you know for anybody that's good, that's not an easy contract to take on without losing something no. you don't want to lose. So. Yeah, that's a that's a and tough one. I, I don't know how the Thunder make it work in the off season. I because you're going to have to take on money. I mean that, and this is I mean this all goes back to you signing Russell Westbrook to that supermax. This is all the fallout from it. Is that you've been stuck having to move all these 
bad contracts around and take on other bad contracts because of you signing Russ to that Supermax, hoping that you wouldn't have to, to get to this point yeah. as, soon, as soon as you did. So, like, if you're going to tank, be committed to tank. And it just never felt like they were until after the trade deadline. And you look down and it's like, oh, crap, we've got 19 wins. What do we do? Well, yeah. All right. There are like 10 other teams that have successfully tanked better than the Thunder. (laughs) Yeah. And and one of them probably didn't mean to, which was Houston. Houston had no intention of tanking this year. When they came into the season, they were just blessed if you will, yeah. with James Harden and, and, and Russell You know what, but give them credit being for being play. aware of their situation and just saying, you know what, let's embrace this thing. <laughs> let's just do it. Let's, let's just do it. throw it down the drain. Yeah, if we're going to tank, let's Minnesota be the best that, tankers in NBA history. Minnesota couldn't help but tank. And again, they're a team that probably shouldn't be. There's probably enough talent on that team. I've at least thought there's enough talent on that team over the last few years that you should be competing to get into the playoffs. I have no idea what's going on in Minnesota. Yeah. But they can't seem to help but suck. Um, and the th- it's funny. You've got the, the, the Timberwolves who can't seem to help but suck and the Thunder who can't figure out how to get to that point. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, my God, we're, we're always going to be competitive. And, look, bless their hearts, the the uh, the Thunder media, bless, bless their hearts. Um, you know, they tried to sell Al Horford to other teams. They really did. Um, talking about how good he was in tweets and, and how he's got something left, and it, j- it just didn't work out. Right. It just didn't work out. <laughs> hey, before I run, uh, I, 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 I've got a few minutes, but uh, Mike Boynton gets the big contract extension, I think, incredibly well-deserved. Uh, for Oklahoma State fans, I felt like there was – a level of excitement this year that uh, we hadn't had in a, a long time. I think just, yeah, I think for the most part, people are always talking about what Oklahoma State basketball used to be. And for the first time this year, it kind of felt like people were living within the, the moment of Oklahoma State basketball. Um, $3 million a year. It, look, I, I think this is, this is awesome to secure the guy that you want as your head coach. At the same time, I mean, I know, I, I remember people were so, after the Travis Ford deal, I think people have just been very hesitant to want to do something like that with a bunch of money for a long term. But when you look at the college basketball landscape, I think I said it earlier, $3 million a year is like 36th or 37th in college basketball as far as head coaches per yep. year. So it's not like the they're breaking the, the bank or anything. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is. I, I think this is a good deal on both sides. It is for Oklahoma State for a couple of reasons. One, you got yourself into such a a bad situation with that Travis Ford contract that it, it probably you got yourself into such a bad bad situation with that Travis Ford contract. It made Mike Holder not want to do that for, for for Brad Underwood, and it ultimately ended up costing you uh, you know a, a pretty good coach. So now with Mike Boynton, I for whatever reason, Mike Boynton was willing to agree to the money you were you were giving him. Um, and I think he probably liked the years, but I'm sure that this contract is written in a way, and I've not seen the particulars, where if somebody comes knocking on Boynton's door, 
it it probably gives him a little bit more wiggle room to get out of it than it normally would because you're not you're not paying him as much as as, as he probably deserves to make. So, um, I like the deal for I like this deal for Oklahoma State a lot. I hope he's there all seven years of his contract. Um, he's been he just he's a really good guy. He's a really good guy. He's not going to embarrass you, and apparently he can recruit. He recruits really good athletes. And he, you know what he does? And and I've talked about this for a long time. He sells the program at every opportunity he gets. Like every time you see Mike Boynton, it's, he takes those opportunities to basically sell what they're doing at Oklahoma state to the, the general public, right? It's like, look at how hard we're working. Look at what we're trying to do here. Look at how exciting things are. Like it's always this, Hey, you know, we're, we're building something. And I think in today's world, I think if you're not doing that, you're, you're failing. You are. And you talk about restoring the excitement. I mean, had this been a normal year, uh, meaning that, you know, people were able to actually go to games, I think you would have seen typical Gallagher-Iba crowds come out and watch Kate Cunningham, especially late in the season. And, and he has restored... He's restored that excitement. I don't know that it'll ever be like it. I, I don't think you can expect it to be like it was in the early 2000s or during the Eddie Sutton era. And, and one of the reasons that is, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. There's only so many entertainment dollars to go around. And for people that live in Guthrie and, and Edmond, it's, pro, it's you know going to Oklahoma City to watch that basketball is probably more justifiable on a weeknight. But you can hope to get it somewhere close to that and I think he's he's the guy to do it he's got an enthusiasm about this program that we haven't seen we really haven't seen since Eddie I think there is I think there's a love for Oklahoma State there on his part that he doesn't he's not necessarily looking at it as a springboard to the next job if it comes along so be it but I think he knows he's in a good enough situation. There's a history there. You you can win and and win relatively big at Oklahoma State. Well, why not stay and cultivate it? Because if you do, you're going to be appreciated. Um, and I think we can get into the conversation next time. Is it a better basketball job than Oklahoma from that standpoint? Because fans do appreciate you a lot more if you win at basketball at OXU than they do at OU. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation to have, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll jump into that next time, um, dude. It's we've got uh, opening day this week. Baseball has uh, has completely snuck up on me, and we didn't even we didn't even hit it today. So we'll uh, we'll have to get into that next week as well. Oh man! Uh, who, all right, right now, who are your early World Series picks? Oh, I I hate to even say the Yankees are a contender and I know you're a big Yankee fan, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're in that conversation, obviously, uh, embrace it. <laughs> never, um, <laughs> the white, I love the white Sox, uh, the Dodgers, the Padres, um, the, the NL East, I think across the board looks like a really fun, uh, race, but yeah, that's the short list. Could the, could the Mets really be competitive this year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can that actually happen? I think it can. We'll see. I I hope I I'm hoping the Mets are competitive. I love the Padres this year. Padres are my yeah. pick from the National League. I think we may have a small market World Series. Yeah. I think we may have San, San Diego Tampa Bay. 
I really, again, I just don't think you can ignore the Rays. Um, that's such a well-run organization, and they've got talent. Um, I, obviously, I want the Yankees in it, but I think the Padres, for sure, coming out of the National League and the American League, I was trying to think of somebody in the Central that might be able to get out of the White playoffs. Sox. Man, the what? You, you like the you like the White Sox yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess they're probably. I don't know. I, I don't know where Cleveland is this year after after letting guys like Francisco Lindor go. Um, I'll, I'll say I'll say San Diego and Tampa right now because okay. I just don't want to pick the Yankees. I just don't want to be a homer. <laughs> I don't think I have Tampa making the playoffs, but we'll see. You know what? Toronto might be. Toronto should be pretty good. Yeah, this year I would. Their pitching is uh, that's kind of my question mark there. But yeah, they've got uh, they are loaded with young talent, and then you know they bring I, over like Springer to be the veteran. So we'll see. I, and I I have no idea what the Red Sox. I will tell you right now, I, I'm mm-hmm. I don't have a good I don't have a good feel for what the Red Sox are. I keep thinking because you, you bring back the manager that you probably shouldn't have fired in the first place. Um, you should just let him serve out a suspension that things are going to calm down and be a little bit better there. But that organization has gone through some, some weird times in, in the last couple of years. I don't know how well they're, they're settled in at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my friend, uh, I got to run, but we will, uh, yeah, we'll hit all that next week. Always appreciate you, buddy. Thank you very much, Colby. That is Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast, which is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, Kratom, CBD, Delta 8. They have all of these available, and you could order online, abotanicalcompany.com. When you order online, use the discount code COLBYSHOW, and you save 15% off your online order. So abotanicalcompany.com, order online, discount code COLBYSHOW for 15% off. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs>